Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I had never heard of Turkish author and rock music lyricist Elif Shafak before I stumbled on her TED Talk on National Public Radio. As I tuned in, she was telling this story, and I was captivated. Born in France and having lived in Jordan and Germany as well as Turkey, she says, in my mid-twenties, I moved to Istanbul, the city I adore. I lived in a very vibrant, diverse neighborhood where I wrote several of my novels. I was in Istanbul in 1999 when the earthquake hit. When I ran out of the building at three in the morning, I saw something that stopped me in my tracks. There was the local grocer, a grumpy old man who didn't sell alcohol and didn't spe speak to marginals. He was sitting next to a cross-dresser with a long black wig and mascara running down her cheeks. I watched the man open a pack of cigarettes with trembling hands and offer one to her. And that is the image of the night of the earthquake in my mind today. In the face of death and destruction, our mundane differences evaporated and we all became one, if only for a few hours. A conservative grocer and a crying cross-dresser smoking together on the sidewalk. Here is a profound truth about how deeply interdependent we are. At any moment, the people in our presence might mean for us the difference between life and death. Less dramatically, but far more importantly, our neighbors, as the golden rule calls them, our neighbors, do mean for us the difference between isolation and loneliness and life abundant. Elif Shafak quoted a stanza from a poem by Turkish poet and Sufi mystic Yunus Emre. Here's the whole thing. God permeates the whole wide world, yet God's truth is revealed to no one. You better seek God in yourself. You and God aren't apart, you're one. Come, let us all be friends for once. Let us make life easy on us. Let us be lovers and loved ones. The earth shall be left to no one. Two weeks ago, Reverend Katie Scudera, our former intern minister, was installed as the senior minister at our congregation in Needham, Massachusetts. And for the occasion, her mother and grandmother made her a new preaching stole depicting the great pageantry at the close of the story of Noah's Ark. There is the boat and the animals, the sea, a dove, and at long last, the good green earth. And there, arching across the sky, is the rainbow. Reverend Katie especially loves the rainbow. We tend to think of the story 
of the great flood as biblical. But it is told not only by Jews and Christians, by, but by Sumerians, Hindus, and Greeks, by the Quiche of Guatemala, the Maya of pre-Columbian Americas, the Muisca of Colombia, the Lac Court Ore Band of Lake Superior Ojibwe, peoples from many cultures on many continents. And all the variations end the same. As the floodwaters recede, God draws that rainbow in the sky as a symbol of God's covenant with the good people who lived to tell the story and all those who will come after them. The covenant, the promise, was that God would never destroy the earth by water again. The rainbow, sign of the covenant, establishes the sacredness of human life. Modern interpretation of this passage focuses on that sacredness. I'm going to interrupt myself to say that on Tuesday when I was writing this sermon, reflecting on our profound interconnectedness and covenant and generosity, it never occurred to me that on Friday the federal government would impose the death penalty in the Boston Marathon bombing case. We in Massachusetts have abolished the death penalty. The Richard family, who suffered the most grievous losses in the bombing, has spoken so clearly and so eloquently against it. And killing people who kill people only compounds violence. It has in no way proven to be a deterrent to yet more violence. Rather than proffering the healing of justice to the survivors of the bombing, the politics of the death penalty ensures that ongoing suffering through endless appeals, it is uncivilized. God's covenant with Noah, the rainbow, signaled that since human beings are made in the image of God, murder shows not only contempt for our sacredness, but also contempt for God. As people of a covenantal faith, we are uniquely positioned to talk about this and act on it. And I hope and trust we will. A covenant is a sacred promise. Here at Arlington Street, every Sunday morning, we invoke our great covenant with one another, affirming that love and service are at the heart of this congregation and dedicating ourselves to living peacefully, to speaking truthfully with love, and to help one another. And once a year, that would be today, and really what an extraordinary time to be doing this, we renew that covenant. We say, yes, I'm in. Count me in for the love offering. I cast my lot with this beloved community. It is here that I choose to do the good, hard work, the wondrous work of gathering with like-minded, like-hearted spiritual companions to grow my soul. It is here that I choose to be all in, to give richly of my time, my talent and treasure, and to receive in kind, in kind, in kindness, as kin 
deeply interdependent, called from isolation and loneliness to life, sacred life, abundant, loving, and loved. For their book, American Grace, How Religion Divides and Unites Us, Robert Putnam and David Campbell parsed the studies on the relationship between being religious and being generous. They began with the assumption that people who are affiliated with the faith tradition must be generous because they'd been inspired by stories like the Good Samaritan, or frankly, they were terrified they'd go to hell if they weren't. I would have assumed that too, but we're all wrong. It, is, it turns out that there is no correlation between people's theology and generosity. So why do we give? The secret ingredient is love. I know you think I made that up, but it's true. Putnam and Campbell concluded that the more robust social networks people have within their congregations, the more friends or people we know and care about right here, the more we give of our time, talent, and treasure. So how really fabulous that Queen Cheryl, David, the sidewalk ministry team, greet us with bubbles. That that means that we can afford to pay our very unsexy $45,000 of fixed costs, such as lights, heats, and phones, and, sorry to say the S word, another $5,000 for snow removal. How extraordinary that the fact that we shake hands and say good morning to one another, that we join hands for the final blessing each Sunday, means that we can afford to hire professional help for the kids and support a $37,000 religious education program. How amazing that the fact that during our candles of sorrow and joy, the entire congregation will pray with you, pray for you, and more often than not, pray in the world with our hands and feet as well as our voices, that that means that we can have a $57,000 music program with a thousand or two more thrown in for an orchestra on Easter and trumpets on Christmas Eve. As people of faith, we are called to experience everything we receive and everything we give as a love offering. I want to finish with a story Rabbi Lawrence Kushner tells as he heard it from his rabbi, a story about a rich man and a poor man and a synagogue in a small town in the north of Israel. During Sabbath services, the rich man was sleeping, as usual, Every once in a while, he would wake up just enough to shift positions to get a little more comfortable on the hard wooden bench. And once in his twilight dreaming, he heard the chanting of verses in Leviticus in which God instructs the children of Israel to place 12 loaves of bread on a table in the ancient wilderness tabernacle. When the service ended, the rich man awoke, and rather than understanding that he had simply heard the day's Torah reading in a moment of lucidity, he thought that God had come to him in his sleep and asked him personally to deliver 12 loaves of bread. He thought it an odd request, but who was he to argue with God? He left and returned with Kala, carefully arranging the loaves next to the Torah scroll in the ark, the holiest place in the synagogue. And after praying, Thank you, God, for telling me what you want of me. I am grateful to serve you. He left. Just after he'd gone, the janitor, a poor man, entered the sanctuary, and before he began cleaning, he prayed, Oh, God, my family is hungry. 
please help us. And you know where this is going. When he opened the ark, there was the answer to his prayers. A miracle, he exclaimed, and so fast. Blessed are you, O God. And he ran home with the bread for his family. Not long afterwards, the rich man returned to the synagogue, curious to see whether or not God had eaten the challah. Slowly, reverently, he opened the ark. Imagine his surprise. Oh, God, he said, I'm so happy you like the challah. I'll bring more next week. How about some with raisins? True to his word, after the next Sabbath day services, the rich man tucked 12 loaves of raisin bread into the ark. And again, after everyone was gone, the janitor came to clean. Oh, God, he prayed, my family ate seven loaves of your bread. We sold four so that we might have milk, and we gave more one to those poorer than we. Now the bread is gone, and we have nothing. Again, I beseech you to help us. And again, his prayer was answered. Week after week, the ritual continued to the astonishment and delight of everyone involved. And then one day, the rabbi was detained after services and watched it all unfold. He called the two men together. The rich man was disappointed that it wasn't God who was eating the challah. The poor man was disappointed that it wasn't God who made the challah. Both men were afraid that God would no longer be present in their lives. The rabbi asked them to look at their hands. Your hands, he said to the rich man, are the hands of God feeding the poor. And your hands, he said to the poor man, are the hands of God welcoming gifts from the rich. Continue this ritual of giving and receiving, he instructed them, and God will be present in your lives in both giving and receiving when we reach out to another. Our hands are the hands of God. Beloved spiritual companions, the earth is shaking. With trembling hands, the conservative old grocer offers a cigarette to the weeping crossdresser, and they sit together on the sidewalk in the dark. Come, let us all be friends for once. Let us make life easy on us. Let us be lovers and loved ones. The rainbow sign, sign of the covenant, calls us out of isolation and loneliness, calls us to the sacred promise to honor life and to live life abundant, loving and loved, calls us to experience everything we receive and everything we give as a love offering. May we make of our lives a love offering. When we reach out to another, may our hands be the hands of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, 
Please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.